Amen. Let us turn together to God's precious word. And we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 7. We're moving down the chapter uh, to the 21st verse. Matthew chapter 7 and the verse 21. And let us hear God's word together. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of verse 7. We trust that the Lord himself will add his own blessing to this reading of his own public and infallible word. I'll just, I'll just ask you to open your Bibles again at that portion in Matthew chapter 7. And with God's word open before us, we'll pray. And we'll seek his face and his blessing upon the preaching of his precious word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to thee once again in the Savior's precious name. Lord, we pray for thy blessing upon us now as we consider thy word. Lord, that it would be preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that it would speak to each and every heart tonight. Lord, that through thy word we would receive a fresh revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ and his cross work. Heavenly Father, do come and bless now. We commit all of this into thy hands, for we ask it in our Savior's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. As the Lord Jesus Christ draws his Sermon on the Mount to a close, he reveals some of the most frightening things to be found in the entire Bible. And we see these things in verses 21 to 23 of Matthew chapter 7. And Martin Lloyd-Jones 
in commenting on these verses and commenting on Christ's words here, he calls them the most solemn and the most solemnizing words ever uttered in this world. And I would not disagree with Lloyd-Jones in his assessment. Now, the setting of these words is, as we read in verse 22, in that day. And this is a reference to that final day of judgment which we so often read of in Scripture. For example, Peter in Acts 2 and 20, he speaks of that great and notable day of the Lord. Paul in Acts 17 and 31 on Mars Hill says, He hath appointed a day. And so these words are uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, or he will utter these words on the day of judgment. Now, it is hard to imagine anything more devastating than to hear the meek and the lowly Jesus Christ utter these words to people who were expecting to be welcomed into heaven by him. These are people who have been deceived. They have lived their lives believing a lie and they have lived their lives believing that they are in good standing before God. And not only have they been deceived, but the fact that they have lived totally unaware and totally oblivious to the fact that they are, display, uh, that they are deceived, it displays that they, are, that they are also victims of self-deception. To be unaware that you are deceived amounts to self-deception. And this is a very dangerous position for a man or a woman to be in, especially when we consider the words of our Savior in this portion of Scripture. Now, I want to examine the words of Christ in a little more depth this evening. And therefore, with these thoughts in mind, in Matthew chapter 7 and the verses 21 to 23 as our text, I want you to consider with me this topic this evening of the dangers of self-deception. The dangers of self-deception. I want you to see firstly that it is dangerous as it is embedded in nominal religion. We read in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we also read in verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And there's no doubt that these words are connected with what has come before in the previous verses. Now, in verses 15 to 20, the Lord warns about false prophets. And verse 15 reads, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And so he tells his hearers, Guard yourself against those who, while telling lies, pretend to be telling the truth. However, this doesn't mean that those who speak the truth are necessarily true prophets. A man can speak the truth, yet he can live a lie at the same time. Outwardly, he can appear fine, he can appear righteous, he can appear to have a form of godliness. But what does the Savior say in verse 20? Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, the emphasis on this statement is not the outward. The emphasis in this statement about knowing people by their fruits is on the inward. It is the doctrine of those who outwardly appear to be sheep. Now, what do I mean by doctrine? I mean that such as are mentioned in our text are those who exalt themselves. They have a sense of their own self-sufficiency. 
They delight in their own so-called purity. They are full of pride and they do not understand or accept the deep depravity of the human nature. They live for self and they live for the loss of the flesh. And this kind of inward attitude is totally contrary to God. It is totally contrary to the Scriptures. It makes little of God's grace. It is an attack on the blood, the righteousness, and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ because it essentially amounts to works-based religion. It amounts to religion which diminishes man's need for God, which diminishes man's need for God's grace. It amounts to religion which seeks to win God's favor apart from Jesus Christ in the form of good works. And we know that that is impossible. Isaiah 64 and 6 says that all of our righteousness is but filthy rags before God. Anything that we do in this life, which may even be perceived as our, by our fellow man as good, is not acceptable in the eyes of God. Because it is tainted by sin. And it is not done uh, for God's glory. This is what we call nominal religion. It is religion in name and form only. It is all outward and it is done from an unregenerate heart. A heart which has not been made alive by the Holy Ghost. And of course, in the day of Jesus Christ, the perfect example of such a person or such a group of people was the sect of the Pharisees. They appeared to have an outward form of righteousness. But by their words and by their actions, we see their fruits. We see what the fruits of their profession really is, especially concerning Christ. Because they showed by their words concerning Christ what their doctrine was. And it was contrary to Christ's doctrine. Christ said concerning the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. And it is at this point in our text that Christ moves to essentially condemn nominal religion or religion of works. Look at verses 21 to 22 again. There are many who will stand before God. They will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will say to him in the day of judgment. Or they will, uh, they will refer to him on the day of judgment as Lord. And who is in view here? Who are these people who stand before Christ on the day of judgment and call him Lord? Well they are not a religious people. They are not people who have never heard the gospel. They are not what we would call unchurched people. They call Jesus Lord. They know the lingo. They even make a proper profession of faith concerning Christ. These are people who profess to be Christians. And furthermore, they have been very active in the practice of their religion. They have been preachers. They have been exorcists. They have been miracle workers, and they did all of their religious works in the name of Jesus Christ. For look at the questions they ask in verse 22. They ask, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? 
These people, they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and what do they do? They appeal to a mere profession of faith and an identification with the Christian religion as their hope for eternity. They appeal to the many works that they have done in the name of Jesus Christ as their hope for eternity. And their deception is further highlighted when we consider the very solemn fact that many of these people who stand before Christ on the day of judgment will have already spent time in a a lost eternity. They will already have died and their souls will have gone to condemnation before they stood before Christ on the final day of judgment. They will have spent time in hell, yet on the day of judgment when they are raised again, they will still stand before Christ and they will appeal to their own merits and they will plead their own merits before Him. Imagine that. You spend time in hell because you are a Christ rejecter. And you have relied on your own good works to get you to heaven. And then you are resurrected on the day of judgment. And you stand before Christ. And you still appeal to your profession and your works before him. Friends, even in hell, sinners continue to deceive themselves. Even in hell, sinners cannot see the error of their ways. Sinners still believe that which is false. And this highlights to us the darkness of man's heart. Because it shows us that even condemned men who have tasted of a lost eternity are still full of pride. They are still preachers of false doctrine. They still have a low view of Christ and a low view of his atonement. Why would they stand before Christ and plead their own merits otherwise? Why would they stand before Christ and even argue their case and contend against the truths of God if they weren't full of pride and their hearts still weren't darkened? This is why Christ said that not everyone who says they are a Christian and profess faith in him or even do many works in his name will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And a lesson we must learn from this, friends, is that nominal religion cannot save Nominal religion is a form of self-deception. Good works will not get anyone into heaven. And perhaps you think that there is merit before God in your very attendance in His house. You think that if you live a cleaner life, you think that if you turn over a a new leaf and give certain sins up, or live a new lifestyle, or adopt a form of outward religion, that it will make you right before God. If you believe that, then you are deceived. Because our works cannot save us. Mere religion cannot save us. Titus 3 and 5 says, Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. The only works which serve to justify a sinner are the works of Jesus Christ. And the works of Jesus Christ alone. We have an obligation to keep the law perfectly in order to please God. But we have failed in our obligation. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And our only way to a right standing before God, our only way to enter into the kingdom of God, is through Jesus Christ. 
Because he kept the law perfectly. He did what we failed to do. He went to the cross and he bore the punishment of God's wrath that we deserve. And by faith in him, we can have his righteousness credited to us and we can see the kingdom of God. Your works cannot save you. Only the works of Christ can save you. And when you stand before God, if you are relying on any works other than the works of Christ, it's very simple. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will only enter the kingdom of darkness. Self-deception is dangerous as it is embedded in nominal religion. But I want you to see secondly that it is dangerous as it evokes rejection by Christ. Look at verse 23. It says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now these are heartbreaking words indeed, especially for those who will have to listen to them on the day of judgment. Because these are people who have professed faith in Christ, they have professed Christ as Lord, and they have professed to do many works in his name. Well, they now will hear the profession of Christ. And see, on the day of judgment, the only profession which will really matter is the profession of Jesus Christ concerning you. And this is the profession of Jesus Christ concerning those who are engaged in nominal religion and relying on their works to get into heaven. His profession is this, I never knew you. What will matter on the day of judgment is whether Jesus Christ knows you as one of his sheep. And the people who profess Christ the people who are truly known of him on the day of judgment, the people who are truly of the flock of Jesus Christ are identified in verse 21 as he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. These are the ones who are known of the Savior. These are the ones who Christ identifies as his own. These are the ones who profess Christ and will see his kingdom. Why? Because they do the will of the Father. That's how we know them. That's how we know that they are true sheep. And what does it mean that they do the will of the Father? Well, doers of the Father's will are in total contrast to those who are not known by Christ, to those who don't follow his doctrine, because doers of the Father's will are those who don't only appear religious or appear to be Christians on the outside, doers of the Father's will are those who have inwardly recognized their lost condition before God. They are those who have realized that they are totally unable to save themselves. They have subjected themselves to uh, to gospel doctrine and that they have embraced Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. These are those who are the doers of the Father's will. They have realized that without the righteousness of Christ, they will never see God. In simple terms, they are saved. And they are not looking to themselves or relying on themselves. They are resting on Christ alone. And we must always examine ourselves. And we must always say to ourselves, why are we in good standing before God? Or why do we believe we are in good standing before God? Is it because we are resting on Christ and resting on Him alone? This is why so many people struggle with assurance. 
Because they sin and they let the Lord down and they look at their own sin and they say, well, I couldn't be saved. Otherwise, I wouldn't do this or that. Or I wouldn't sin as much as I do. But friends, when you look to yourself, you will be in despair. You must always look to Him. And you must always rest upon Him. And even when you sin against God, you must always say to yourself and convince yourself, Christ has paid for my sins on the cross. And the works that these professors do, these doers of the Father's will engage in, such as coming to church to worship, doing many works in the name of Christ, they are not done with the view that they will gain them entry into the kingdom of heaven. These works are done um, with a will to engage in the work of the Father and to bring glory to the name of the Father. These works are done in newness of life, in obedience to God. We read in Romans 6 and 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Those who are resting on themselves and those who are not resting on Christ and don't do the will of the Father and don't walk in newness of life, they are those who will be rejected by Christ on the day of judgment. And John Bunyan, in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he graphically depicts this in the final scene of that book. Because after describing the glorious reception that the king gave Christian and hopeful into the celestial city, Bunyan describes the outcome of a character that he called ignorance. Now, his name is not a commentary on his intellect, uh, but it, it is a commentary really on his lack of understanding of the true way of salvation. Now, earlier in the story, we learn that ignorance was quite confident that he would make it to heaven because he says, I know my Lord's will and I have been a good liver. I pay, I pay to every man his own. I pray, fast, pay tithes, and give alms. And furthermore, he speaks freely of Christ, and he speaks freely of heaven and his desire to go to heaven. But despite, despite Christian and Hopeful's best efforts, they are unable to persuade ignorance to leave behind his self-confidence, ill-founded though it is. He has not been born again. He is not trusting Christ alone to justify him before God. Thus, he is not living by faith and obedience to God's commands. And what happens to, uh, to ignorance in the final scene of the book? He is rejected by the king who has him bound hand and foot and has him taken away. You see, in this story, ignorance was not known of Christ. He was not known of Christ. And he was rejected by Christ on the last day, and he was bound, and he was taken away, and he never got into the celestial city because he relied on himself. He relied on his praying. He relied on his fasting. He rejected Christ's doctrine. He was sincere, and humanly speaking, he was a good man, but he fell short. It wasn't enough to grant him entry into the kingdom. And I want to ask you tonight in this meeting, are you resting on Christ? Does Christ know you by the fact that you are resting wholly upon Him for salvation? 
Could Christ identify you as his own by the fact that you have abandoned any hope of salvation in yourself? Does Christ know you by the fact that you have realized you can never save yourself and that only he can save? Have you repented and trusted in him for salvation? I'm simply asking you this tonight. Are you saved? And are you trusting Christ? And are you a doer of the Father's will? If not, then you are in danger of being rejected by Christ on the day of judgment. And what are the fruits of self-reliance, of pride, of Christ's rejection, of nominal religion? The fruits are this, that we are ultimately rejected by Christ and we are ultimately sent to eternal damnation in hell. These are the fruits of self-deception. And this brings about another danger of self-deception. We've alluded to it, which is hell. But I want you to see finally with me that it is dangerous as it ensues an awful sentence. We've already said that nominal religion cannot save and that it is not acceptable to God, and that it leads to being rejected by Christ. And verse 21 alludes to the fact that they will not enter the kingdom. But look at the end of verse 23. It says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And here is the implication. The implication is, if you can't get into heaven, if you can't dwell in the immediate presence of Christ for all eternity, then you will be commanded to depart and you will be commanded to go to that awful place called hell. And so they don't gain fellowship with Christ in his kingdom forever. Those who don't rely on him, they very simply don't go to heaven and they are sent to everlasting fire. Because they are workers of iniquity, as Christ has said, and described them at the end of the verse. All the works that they have done in the name of Jesus Christ have been done deceitfully. They have trampled upon and they have affronted his sacrifice on the cross. They have trampled upon his blood and now they go to face their punishment in hell. Matthew 25 and 46 says, And they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And friends, this is the ultimate end of self-deception. This is what happens when people live a lie. And when people deceive themselves throughout their entire lives into thinking that they, are stand, that they are in good standing before God and that they are going to heaven, they end up in hell. And living life thinking that you are okay before God, living life thinking that you don't need to trust Christ, it all leads to hell. Relying on yourself and your own good works, it leads to hell. And tonight we must remember that any ideology, any mindset, any religion which does not involve embracing Christ for salvation and entry into his kingdom leads to hell. It doesn't matter what that religion calls itself. It doesn't even matter if that so-called religion claims to believe that the Bible is true. It doesn't matter if that religion claims to believe that Christ went to the cross. If it does not entail embracing Christ alone for salvation, it leads to hell. And it is a mixture of truth and lies. And dear friend, if you're not trusting Christ for salvation 
then you will one day be in hell and you will face the wrath of God. I don't know what you are or where you stand before God. I don't know whether you are a nominal Christian or not. I don't know how you live your life, but the truth still stands. Anyone outside of Christ will spend eternity in hell. And this is why we all must be sure. We all must be sure what we are resting on and what we are relying on tonight for our salvation. Are we resting on Christ? I implore you to flee from the wrath to come and to run to Christ and to put your faith in him for salvation. And then when you stand before him on the day of judgment, you won't say, Lord, I have professed your name. You won't say, Lord, I did this or I did that. You won't even say, Lord, I lived the best life that I could. I tried to obey the Ten Commandments and obey the Bible. I tried to do works of charity. You will stand before God on that day and you will say, to quote the hymn writer, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Friends, may this be the experience of each and every one in this meeting tonight when we stand before the judge of all the earth that we will be trusting him and him alone to gain entry into the kingdom of God. Be saved and may God bless his word to all of our hearts tonight for his glory. Amen. Amen. We'll